1: The FT. Hello and welcome to World Weekly. I'm Gideon Rachman. This week, the continuing turmoil in the Middle East, and what does the return of Vladimir Putin mean for Russia's relations with the West? We start with events in Egypt. The reoccupation of Tahrir Square by angry crowds has sparked talk of a second Egyptian revolution ten months after the toppling of Hosni Mubarak. Joining me on the line from Cairo is the FT's correspondent there, Heba Salah. Okay, Heba, the the demonstrations have been going on for uh, a few days now. What's your sense of what's going to happen next?
2: Egypt's military rulers are insistent that the elections will go on as planned. Uh, But tomorrow, Friday, we are due to have a very big demonstration in Tahrir Square. The generals on the Supreme Council of the Armed Forces have spoken in in a press conference today. But what they said is not likely to satisfy people because they have again denied that police fired live ammunition at protesters. They have defended the, the the police, and they've been somewhat disparaging about the uh, the, the young guys who have uh, been in a confrontation with police for six days. So I think this will not go down well. People are likely to mess up in Tahrir Square tomorrow, not necessarily followers of particular political groups, though at the core there are always uh, youth activists, those who were at the forefront of the revolution against Mr. Mubarak, they're likely to be there, plus a lot of other people who uh, are sympathizers, who are angry about army rule, feel that the army has mismanaged this transition and won them out.
1: Does this feel like a, a a replay of of what happened in in January? Uh, is the support as wide?
2: The support is less wide. The, in in many ways, it feels like a replay because you've got hundreds of thousands of people packing Tahrir Square. But beyond Tahrir Square, uh, opinion is split. There are many people who say uh, we're on the brink of elections. Let the process unfold um this is destructive what 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 uh, what what who takes over if the army leaves uh, we don't want the army to leave they see the army as the last remaining barrier between the country and chaos so there are a lot of people outside Tahrir who say that inside Tahrir square and uh, elsewhere in society there is a view which says they should go and hand over to uh, perhaps an empowered civilian government which could lead the country out of the crisis. Clearly, the Supreme Council of the Armed Forces is, uh, is, is not considering such an option. They're not planning to go. They did launch a challenge saying, if you insist that we go, let's hold a popular referendum. And I think they did that confident that a popular referendum would support their point of view.
1: Now, of course, the situation is moving very fast, so it would be difficult to predict how it's going to play out. But do you think that the Army Council will be able to withstand this public pressure, push ahead with elections, or is is, is it building to a stage where something's got to give?
2: It really depends on what happens in the next few days. Uh, Overnight, they have managed to bring about an end of the fighting uh, in downtown Cairo. Police, uh, sorry, the army has erected barriers. Police have been withdrawn into the interior ministry. So the, 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 the fighting, which actually fed passions because of the of the, the the dead and the injured and the pictures and all this and and the firing of the tear gas and all this uh, inflamed feeling, if if this is over and if this uh, if, if this peace uh, of this tr- if this truce holds, then perhaps it will be possible to hold elections. But if between today and tomorrow, when there will be uh, hundreds of possibly hundreds of thousands of people in the square, something else. Happens, matters get out of hand, there is an attempt at to sit in at the end of the demonstration, which often happens, and, and then the sit in is attacked, uh, then, then it could all reignite, and that would really threaten the election.
1: Heba Saleh in Cairo, thank you very much indeed. Egypt, of course, is not the only Arab country in turmoil. Violence and civil unrest has been going on in Syria for months, prompting renewed calls for international intervention this week. Abigail Fielding-Smith is following events in Syria from Beirut and she's on the line now. Abigail, what, what do you make of these new calls for international intervention?
0: Well, it, it's not clear how any of these sort of ideas that are being talked about would actually work in practice. And the most consistently talked about one is the idea of a Turkish buffer zone uh, on on the Turkish border. But it's it's not clear... A, whether Turkey really wants to go ahead and do that. There's a lot at stake in it for Turkey, which, uh, as we saw last week, um, possibly is already starting to experience some kind of uh, blowback from its increasingly hard stance on Syria. Um, And uh, so it's not clear how these would work in practice, and, and it's not clear how you would get the international support, particularly with sort of Russia's position being as it is
1: and yet there there is a sense of of uh, of increasing international isolation for for president assad with the arab league calling him for him to go president erdogan of turkey even likening him to to hitler is, is is he able to isolate himself from the international situation or do you feel that whether or not there's a un resolution that 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 does have some sort of impact on him
0: I think it definitely has an impact, uh, and you can sort of tell that from how sort of furiously state media react to these kind of things. Um, and also the economic pressure is it's building up. Um, whether or not the Arab League decide today to introduce some sanctions measures, um, even with the existing sanctions uh, that there are from the EU and, and the US, um, there's really a lot of economic pressure on i side. And I think... The way that that impacts the situation is that people in the inside who are currently supporting the regime look at the way the winds are blowing and might start to think, you know, is this really in my interest to keep supporting the regime? Or at least that's the the kind of thinking behind it by the sort of proponents of these measures.
1: Final question on Turkey, their Neighbours who are are in the forefront of this uh, pressure on them. Do you do you have a sense that the Turks know what they want now? I mean, there there was a period when they were trying to build up this very close relationship between the two presidents, Erdogan and Assad. That's obviously gone 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 to the wind. But do, do the Turks have a view of how they think this is going to end?
0: Well, um, I mean, I think, uh, as you say, you know, they they invested a lot in this relationship, and it and it took them a while to to really accept that they sort of had to write it off. Um, the indicators now from the public statements sort of coming out of Ankara are that, that they have written it off, um, but they are still very reluctant to sort of take things to the next level because there's all kinds of, of ways in which it could come back and hurt them economically if they were to impose sanctions. But also, you know, Assad has all kinds of cards he could play, such as um, the PKK, a sort of militarized Kurdish group who um, have a sort of branch in Syria. Turkey and Syria have very bad relations because of uh, Syria's support for the PKK, which only ended um, relatively recently. So, you know, potentially that's, that's something Syria could do to stir up trouble in Turkey. And uh, so my sense just from sort of seeing the public statements that come out is that, you know, they have decided they've given up on this relationship, but they're, they're treading very carefully um, in terms of what to do having made that decision.
1: And actually, I'll finish with a probably unanswerable question, I'm afraid, but given all the factors, internal and external, how long do you give uh, President Assad?
0: (laughs) Um, That's, uh, I mean, that's the question that everyone in uh, various diplomatic missions across the Middle East are asking themselves at the moment. If there is a kind of consensus, in as much as there is a kind of consensus, uh, I think that the regime itself has proved surprisingly durable in spite of reports of increasing army defections at a kind of low level. And in terms of the economic pressure, the feeling is that with sort of help maybe from Iran, they can probably brazen it out, you know, they're not about to just collapse sort of imminently. Um, But what people tell me when I sort of ask them this question is, it'll be one of those things a bit like the Arab Spring itself, where you can see the conditions are there, but you won't know when it happens until it happens. And it could happen soon, or it could be in years' time. but. You know, clearly, none of the kind of macro factors are very sustainable in the long term, but no one can really see what will sort of trigger an actual collapse.
1: Thanks very much. Finally, to Russia, which is preparing for the all but inevitable return of Vladimir Putin as president when elections are staged next March. The FT's Neil Buckley was part of a small group of journalists who recently dined with Mr. Putin. He joins me now. Um, Neil, what was your impression? Is the new Putin much like the old Putin? Is he unaltered after his four years out of the presidency.
3: I think the new Putin is very much like uh, the old one. Uh, We were all very interested to see what kind of Mr. Putin this was going to be. There's been a lot of talk that uh, we might see a a Putin 2.0 who will be a a more reformist, somewhat more liberal figure than in the past. But the impression at the dinner we had with him was that uh, he still thinks and views the world very much in the way that he did before
1: and that is to see russia as rather put upon by the rest of the world a russia that needs to defend its interests with the rest of the world so the rest of the world doesn't take advantage of it seemed to be his basic take
3: absolutely and it, it was very much like going back to 2007 2008 the end of his Uh, last presidency. He's still very concerned about the US uh, plans for a missile shield in Central Europe. He spoke uh, very uh, critically about that. He was extremely critical about the uh, NATO-led intervention in Libya, suggested this was a gross violation of the UN Security Council resolution. So a, a lot of very tough words. But he accuses the US and the West of double standards. He says, we are not allowed to do the things that you are. He is talking about creating a Eurasian Union of former Soviet republics and said that Western criticism of that was was double standards. He said, you're integrating. Why can we not do the same things?
1: So it sounds like uh, Russia, if and when President Putin comes back to power, will go back to being one of the West's major foreign policy headaches because... I guess one of the achievements of President Obama has been this reset with Russia which has calmed things down. Is that uh, all the gains from the reset do you think they're now at risk?
3: I think the reset's certainly in question. We've seen the uh, comments by Mr. Putin repeated this week uh, and built upon by uh, Dmitry Medvedev uh, who of course is still president uh, for the time being. He uh, has made a very outspoken speech about the missile shield and so there are really a lot of questions about uh, the reset and whether this this was actually just a temporary thaw, uh, and we could see things uh, freezing over again. But of course, a lot depends on what happens in the US uh, presidential elections. Um, and uh, if we were to see a Republican win those, then of course uh, all, all bets would be off in a sense over the reset.
1: And one shouldn't forget that just before Obama came in, things were really. Very bad between the the u s and, and Russia with the uh, arguments over the war in Georgia and so on, so so they could get pretty bad again
3: they could get bad again they 're still a lot better than they were at their low point uh, in two thousand and eight um, but right now the uh, the, the prognosis doesn 't look terribly positive.
1: Last thing, though, what about the domestic background that President Putin is coming back to? I mean, is the economy strong enough to support a kind of feel-good factor when he comes back into the Kremlin? Because one notices this unprecedented thing of him apparently being booed at a martial arts uh, demonstration.
3: I think that that's the most interesting thing about the situation right now is that, uh, those of us who were there a couple of weeks ago uh, for a, a big conference and then the meeting with Mr Putin, there was a real sense of the mood having changed uh, in Russia, and I felt this on previous visits this year, um, that um, people are getting a bit restive. Certainly the uh, the elites, as Russians like to call them, the intelligentsia, the business community, are, are, are not wild about the idea of Mr Putin coming back uh, as president. The question is the extent to which that feeling is shared among uh, ordinary Russians and whether any of them would actually be prepared to to act on that. Um, it's very difficult to tell. We may get an indication in the parliamentary elections in a week and a half's uh, time with the, the performance of United Russia, the pro-Kremlin party. But certainly the economic outlook is not uh, as strong in the coming years. There's a real sense that Russia needs to modernise its economy, modernise its whole system of governance. Uh, And a lot of questions about whether Mr Putin and a man of his instincts uh, can really deliver on that kind of modernisation.
1: And indeed, rather ominously, wasn't his spokesman uh, praising the Brezhnev era as, as a good time for Russia?
3: Yes, I don't think that was his spokesman's finest uh, hour, actually. Um, but it does. Uh, he, th- there has been a lot of talk about, uh, about comparing Mr Putin with, with, with Brezhnev. If he comes back, uh, as expected as president, he could be around for another 12 years. On top of the 12, 13 years he's already been around. So you could be talking about a quarter century with the same, the same man in charge
1: daunting prospect. Neil Buckley, thank you very much. And thanks also to Heba Salah in Cairo and Abigail Fielding-Smith in Beirut. That's it for this edition. Please join us again next week. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.
3: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.